Hello, welcome to another Social Dad podcast. Uh, I've got someone on the line. Hello. Hey, hey, James. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are I'm you? I'm doing awesome. Would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. My name is Valine. I am a Canadian children's author based out of Ontario or Toronto. And uh, I have a book series that I'm so happy that I get to share with you all today, especially as we highlight Black History Month. So... Yes, hugely important. Um, It feels like it gets more important every year. (laughs) I think so. I think so. 2020, I think, really put that jolt into it, you know, based on Mm -hmm. everything that was happening. More so, of course, in the U.S. regarding uh, George Floyd, the the death or murder of him. So, you know, it's a big, big uh, celebration for us all. And it's a way that we all can become aware of uh, the history that Black people contribute to North America. Yeah, and beyond, of course. And beyond. Um, So could you tell me about your book? Absolutely. Okay, so do you want me to get into how it all came together? I mean... um, I would love to hear about it. Awesome, awesome. So I just finished uh, the part three of the series. It's called The Amazing Zoe. And um, I initially wrote the first part. It, It... Last year, it was uh, in 2020, just after we started hearing about COVID-19 and coronavirus and so forth. So it it actually was written during the lockdown. And um, it was inspired because uh, I just was speaking to a few parents. I'm a new mom myself. My daughter is only one and a half now. Thank you. And at the time, um, I just knew a lot of school-aged children were having a very difficult time. I was walking down the street in my area and I saw two little boys, they're probably about eight years old, and they were playing cards through a window. And I was like, oh no, these poor kids, they can't even get to uh, enjoy their, their spring break and their you know, they're, they're the good weather outside at the time. Mm-hmm. So it, that kind of inspired the writing um, or the story, let's say, but um, also in understanding that there's a definitely a need for more diverse characters in children's literature. So the main character is a child of color. She's a black little girl and um, she's here to pretty much fill in the gap with uh, where the publication industry is right now for children's books. We just need to see more people of color. <laughs> so that's what it's Absolutely. About. Yeah, yeah. So why do you think there is a gap? You know, I just think it's the nature and the history of North America, our, our country. I mean, um, f- un- unfortunately, there's an underlying racial issue. Um, it's age old. I mean, it is from the very inception of how the countries were founded, let's say the U.S. and mm-hmm. Canada, and there's just, I guess, this air that always puts anyone of European uh, heritage first, um, as it is, as compared to anyone of color or any other multicultural group. So it starts also in the system because we've always heard about systemat- systematic racism. We've heard about that, but it also filters and spills into literature, in our media, in our education system. It's all around us. So. Um, kind of like what you just mentioned, uh, the reason why things kind of started to 
really this awareness, this awakening started more so last year, of course, with the Black Lives Matter movements and, you know, all these other groups that have started and corporations starting to take notice. Um, We're moving in the right direction, I think. Absolutely. I think that's, it's incredible. And I, it's kind of a thought that just popped into my head. So it's been very, for the lack of a better word, trendy to talk about, I mean, especially here in Canada, Indigenous First Nations mm-hmm. um, people and their, <clears throat> excuse me, and their stories, which have often gone overlooked. Yes. Um, though, of course, it's, you can't have any of North America without them. No. Um, so how do you think there's room in the conversation for black voices? Um. Well, you know what? I, I, I think it's very important to have us have the understanding that one fight is for everybody, so to speak. Like, I, I don't want to create the separation. It's indigenous, it's black, it's, you know, Latin. Like, I, I don't think so. Even at the end of the day, I mean, we are different groups. We all have different cultures and, you know, there are things that, that do separate us in a sense, but I think it's very important that we do come together and, and identify the problems when it comes to race and being uh, less advantaged in different areas when it comes to uh, perhaps or being overlooked when it comes to um, jobs or when it comes to any other rights that we should have as human beings. Right. So um, I think there's room, there's definitely room. It's a united front. It's a united fight. And um, I think if we make that separation um, again, I think it creates even more issues (laughs) down the road when it comes to um, uh, trying to build unity. And that's what this is all about. I mean, we know what uh, North America and, and uh, the, well, North America all, all in once, we know what it stood for. We knew at the very beginning when it's like, okay, we're founding these countries. It's supposed to be a land of the free. It's supposed to be, you know, a place of opportunity and where people get to be who they are um culturally as individuals but we have to make sure that we speak to that in all that we do yeah it's i mean it's so important that it feels like it's uh, i don't know like it of course it should be Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you know it it seems uh, it's funny because it of course it shouldn't be redundant to say it Mm -hmm. because everyone deserves equality but it like if you're on the sort of right side of the conversation or one side of the conversation it feels like yes of course everyone's equal but there's so many people who have feelings other otherwise which are outdated and ridiculous Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they they you can't tell them that they're ridiculous Yeah, yeah and so i think it all, I mean, what I love about this is because it's a kid's book or book aimed at children um, that it's, I think it has to be a sort of generational shift for those who have yet to catch up. Yes. Yeah. And so if you're educating the children that, yes, of course, everyone's equal, it seems to have to think anything else. Right. Right. Um, then the next generation or, or even the parents reading this to their kids will sort of 
foster that mentality. I, I, I agree. I, I think it starts, and I think a lot of us take it for granted how soon this education needs to be placed in the lives of young people. And when I say that, I mean the education of, of, um, being more compassionate towards other cultures, other races, um, being aware of race and racial issues. Like, I don't think you're too young at five to have those conversations because bullying starts very early. I mean, I can speak to even my own personal experience. Um, so as I mentioned, um, or maybe I didn't, but my background is Jamaican. I am considered mm-hmm. African Canadian or whatever term you want to use, but just to be call it simple black. I'm a black woman now who grew up in a very, um, uh, white ne- neighborhood. It was mainly Greeks. It was mainly Italians. And there were just sprinklings of black families at the time. I'm in a suburb just outside of Toronto and um, my very first occurrence of of being called a, a name, and this is the N-word, I was probably about maybe about six or seven years old. Seven, I'd say six, six years old. And um, at the time, I knew it was a bad word, but I didn't know what it really meant. Um, when I started hearing other children call me that name, I, I remember I didn't feel good because I knew it was something bad. And I came home and I spoke to my family about it. And of course, they, they weren't happy. They weren't happy about it. But sadly enough, these are the names that they also experienced once they migrated from Jamaica to, to Canada. So um, as you mentioned, it is generational. These children, as it is, you know, they're sponges. They're learning these words and these behaviors from parents, from family members, wherever, right? So um, introducing literature that speaks to those issues and, and calls it out blatantly for what it is, I think that's the important thing. And, and I know that's what I did with uh, The Amazing Zoe, especially um, the book two. Um, it's called A Queen Like Me. And if I can just share a little bit about what that's about, because since we're on the topic. Please, yeah. Yeah. So um, there are two little girls. Zoe, of course, as I mentioned, she's the black little girl. She has a best friend who's who's uh, white. Her name is Caitlin. And they dress up. They play together. Families are aware of each other. They know each other and all that. But um, one particular day, Caitlin, um, they're playing dress up. Caitlin decided that she wanted to be queen again she wanted to play queen with the costume and all of that and um zoe says hey i want to play i want to be the queen today and caitlin basically says no i never see queens that look like you or princesses that look like you so why would you want to do why would you want to play this role and of course it's hurtful to zoe because they share costumes they share their toys but for some reason she wasn't able to to play that role that she wanted to play here So she goes home, she's upset, and she speaks with her parents, and the parents go and visit Caitlin and her family. And there's like a little bit of a history lesson there to um, Mm -hmm. let both sides understand that there is African history, there's African royalty, um, not just the Eurocentric uh, monarchy that we see all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So... um, I also left a few resources in the book so that parents are able to um, do a little more digging, 
You know, and I think that's the important thing. I don't think the education just stops in one book. I think it's supposed to probe conversation and probe a little more research. And um, that's really what I hope to get from from the series and all together, and especially this particular book, book two. Wow, that that's fantastic. I mean, um, I was when uh, everyone was watching the inauguration, um, and Amanda Gorman read her incredible poem. Oh my goodness! It was so perfectly done, perfectly read. She was just a beacon of of light for that the the show, the event. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Did that um, sort of inspire you at all? Um, definitely. I mean, keep in mind, these stories were written beforehand, but, um, it, (laughs) wow. I, I was just, I was so moved and I was so, you know, I was just so amazed by how she tied in history to present day to what we as a nation need to do and how we need to move forward. And, you know, what we are actually feeling at this time, because, um, all of these racially, racially charged issues that were brought up, I mean, in this last administration, because remember, it does a lot of these things do, do funnel over to us, even though it's not our government. Blah 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 blah. I get it, but <laughs> oh, it, it's a, it's a conversation happening around the world, yeah. and, and you know, the last administration, even though it is our neighbors, it still affects yeah. us, and it still gives sort of the green light to some people yes. who think, oh, this conversation's okay to say. Yes. These opinions aren't awful. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. They're very awful, and you uh, should be ashamed. Yeah, but yeah. if if they're given, oh, the the guy in charge downstairs is saying it's okay, then I'm going to go for it and wear my hat. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we we have to look to our leaders. I mean, they set the tone, they set the pace for so much, and and um, again, just her, her having the ability, Amanda, addressing all of um, what we face, not only in this last administration, but even years. Prior, it was it was just an amazing, amazing poem, just so well done. Yeah. But in terms of um, inspiration, um, yeah, I, I am inspired to keep going. I'm inspired to keep writing stories that may be a little unconventional, so to speak, when it comes to children's literature. And I say that because especially now <laughs> I'm paying more attention about the little bears and the little frogs and all that. I have my little daughter, but um, it's, it, I, I don't want to only deal with fluff, right? Mind yeah. you, the stories are not always going to be about race either because I feel it's so, so, so very important to show the multifaceted ways in which um people of color live like it's it's not always heavily based on our our terrible past of slavery it's it's not always based in you know us feeling as though we're placed at a disadvantage we as people we like to go outside and smell roses and we like we play in our garden we learn about you know insects and we learn about the seasons I, I think it's so important to show the world that we see the world as you do too, right? So, yeah, it should be just, yeah, yeah. like everyone, everyone is just on the same Yeah, level. absolutely. Like, you know, so I, I just think it's important um, to to tell those stories that so so everybody is able to relate. 
it's just a child. We're children. Everyone was a child one day and children do kiddish things. Right. And, um, for example, um, something that I, I think I, I shared with you before, but, uh, the third story it's about, um, unfortunately my mom, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, um, a few years ago. Thank you. And, um, she's, you know, she's still, I'd say she's at a moderate level now, right? In the sense, sometimes, you know, she's forgetting people's names or conversations and so on. But the point is, is that she, her, her, the bond, the bond that my daughter and my mom share right now, I mean, I'm amazed. I, I love watching them. And, um, it just made me think that unfortunately, my daughter Zuri, that's her name, um, she's not going to really remember. She's not going to remember two, three, four, or five years from now. Um, but it's just a way of kind of putting a time capsule on their bond. So that way, when she's older, to be able to understand through our stories who mom was, you know, this is something that can stay with her. And also, just helping families navigate through this difficult situation. I mean, um, Alzheimer's, believe it or not, I don't know if you know this, but it is the fifth most uh, common disease that actually, it, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the fifth d- disease that actually kill Canadians, you know? I mean, um, it's stroke, cancer, heart disease, and number five is Alzheimer's. So it's a lot more prevalent than we think. And um, unfortunately it's something that a lot of families suffer from or suffer through in silence, you know, Um, because sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes the person is just not themselves. You know, it changes their behavior, it changes the way they communicate. And um, sometimes it's seen as embarrassing, to family members. So families don't speak of it and they don't share it. And, you know, they just kind of keep it to themselves. So this conversation is important also to let people understand you're not alone to let little children understand, you know, you can still love grandma and grandpa, you know, sure. They're what you once knew them to be has changed a little bit, but they're still who they are to you, you know? So. Yeah, it's kind of, there has been an awful lot of conversation, especially last year and going into this, where people have been locked in their houses and can't go out and can't see their friends or can't even go to the shop and just talk to the, the salesperson mm-hmm. that they always would come in and, you know, see how they mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. And so opening up about all sorts of um, issues, whether it's being depressed or just lonely or even just a bit bored, but also going into the more serious conversations about like mental health right. and sort of even sort of embarrassed, you know, in the quote marks, embarrassing types of like cancer, for example, mm-hmm. like Movember tries to break that um, taboo about talking about prostate cancer or testicular cancer, or those kinds yeah. of things where it, it would be a bit odd. I can't really say that. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like you can, yeah. half the people have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're yeah. Silly to not talk. Like, yeah, it's like everyone's got a body and they're all different. But even sort of with mental health and and issues of the brain and things, it's incredible how 
what I've been learning is chemical. It is. Yes. So yes. it's not like this, like if someone is depressed or has anxiety. Um, I mean, I take medicine for um, anxiety um, and it's not, there's nothing like flawed. It's a chemical, in, it's entirely chemical. Yes. So that's why medicine is there to help and yeah. levels it right. out. Right. And it's the same thing with like dementia or Alzheimer's. It's just the brain not working mm-hmm. the way it used right. to or the way it should. Right. And so while there is some medicine that works, sometimes just medicine doesn't work. And, and that's kind of, it, it helps me at least to take the, the person away from what's going on. Right. If you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it just takes the embarrassment out. Of, like, I've got a, like the chemicals in my head are a bit off. So I just take these medicine and it, and it makes it like, if you've got a headache, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're not embarrassed about no. it. And it's the same thing. No. Like my, my head, the chemicals in my head aren't, aren't right. So I take an aspirin. Right. Right. And it, and, and and I think I think I'm so glad that you have that approach, you know, because um, realistically, many still don't, you know, that mm-hmm. it's still the conversation of mental health is still still so taboo. But I I do feel that we're doing better, and I'm I'm starting to see changes, like as opposed to probably ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and um, I myself, even though my background is is um, in healthcare, I, um, I was a trained physiotherapist, and um, health, uh, mental health was a huge component in a lot of the patients that I used to see because, um, you know, if they have chronic pain and uh, they have um, you know various conditions, it does take a toll on your mental health and how you feel about yourself, right? Yeah. And um, as much as I was trained to understand it, it's just, it's just life. Like you, sometimes you're not going to understand unless you experience it yourself. And even Mm -hmm. for myself, um, after having my daughter looking back, I can definitely say I experienced postpartum depression of 100%. I Mm -hmm. could never understand anyone's explanation of it. Um, when I used to hear stories about it, I'd be like, mm, are you sure? Like, maybe you just need to sleep more, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> that helps when people say that. Well, you just need to go for I, a walk. Of course, would oh, never thanks. say that Doctor. to anybody, but it was my thoughts, <laughs> you know? It was my thoughts yeah. at times because I'm like, mm, maybe mm-hmm. if you just work really hard, like that was in my head. But yeah. um, in understanding, the the realness of it when it when you mentioned it's a chemical situation it's a change in the brain it's a it's it's a change in the connections the transmissions of the neurons mm-hmm. and all that if you want to get into deeper science um it's so much more and um for me like even in talking about this story going back to the amazing Zoe um the third version is coming out in March it's called um um, grandma's memory box. But when I spoke to my family, I, I, out of respect, I wanted to get permission to say, Hey guys, I want to talk about this story. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm a part of a large, uh, church community as well. And, um, my parents have been like <laughs> in the church forever, <laughs> you know, and, and they're known in our, their little community here. But, um, 
I thought to myself, would it be embarrassing? Because a lot of people, you know, they still, they, they will just not talk about it, you know? And I just, I just want to change it. As you're mentioning, we're moving into a new generation and whether it be a talk about mental health or talk, talks about um, racial issues and so forth. I mean, we have to be able to call it as it is, identify it and work on these things, just keeping it hush hush. It's, it's not going to do us any good. So it's healing for us all, you know, it's, it's healing for us all to talk about it and yeah, I think there's, I mean, it's really interesting. There's so many different types of conversations where, like, that just need to happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about everything from equality and, and rights and history and to mental health and how we're all doing and how we're all a bit messed up in different fascinating ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I learned that more as I got older. Like, <laughs> I... If, if I was, I was talking to my dad the other day and I was like, remember when I was in a rush to grow up, you know, I, I wanted to go and party and I wanted to just be on my own and all of that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I remember I, I was trying to control you a little bit. And yeah, I'm like, say that back now, didn't you? <laughs> I said this. That was great when we didn't have oh any responsibilities. I said exactly that. I go, I'll go back. I could go back now. <laughs> but uh, it's it's just um, how life is, you know. And every every junction, you just have to work through it. And the best way, as I said, is just educating yourself, learning, speaking to people, share experiences and, and don't be in denial. Like that's the other thing that I find is really upsetting through the process because um, going back to speaking about racial issues and so forth. um, Some of, some of the groups, as you mentioned before, who um, are not willing to learn and, want to see themselves as superior to to others and so on it's like it all it takes is just having a little bit of compassion it just takes wanting to learn about someone else's story you know and the thing is someone will say well i'm not racist because i i um i might have a black friend or whatever but it's so Mm -hmm. important to hear what people are saying. If someone's saying, you know what, I'm experiencing, I've been a victim of maybe white privilege, or I've been a victim of this or that. It's important to dialogue and understand what that viewpoint is, you know, keeping in mind, um, it doesn't mean it's vilifying any one person. That's not what it's about. It's just saying, this is my experience. This is how I've been treated what can we do to fix this? Right. So just going back on what you were saying before, the importance of just trying to see everyone as equal and, you know, just trying to work through all of this. It, it, I still feel there's hope and I still feel it's doable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there has to be hope. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's funny, like some of the people who are protesting, whether it's, they're protesting against Black Lives Matters or they're protesting against vaccinations or they're protesting about how come these people get more rights now because they're coming of a place of privilege mm-hmm. whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of e- equality almost feels like suppression to mm-hmm. them. Saying, well, how, if they're getting more, 
I must be getting less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? No, mm-hmm. everyone just gets more. Yes, yes. Or the same. Yes, yes. You know, you're not getting less. Yes, and, and there's there's quite a lot of literature out there now that's starting to surface. Um, I won't plug any books right now, but <laughs> there's there's quite a lot of information to try to make open the eyes, open, open the eyes and open the perspective of what it means to, as you're saying, just level the playing field a little bit, you know, just giving someone what more doesn't mean someone else is getting less as you're saying. It's so important to see that. So, um, I mean, we have work to do and I, and I know that the work starts at home a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. most of the times it starts, um, in our school system. It starts with our youth. And we work our way all the way up. It's funny. Like I was talking to my wife who's from Canada. And in England, we have um, like a whole lesson. um, And it goes through. It's like it's taught side by side with like math and English and geography where we do world geography instead of just our own country, but also history where we learn about everything from our own history and Britain has an awful lot of it mm-hmm. to ancient Greeks and uh, India and Asia and uh, America and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also we do world religion. So every semester we have a different religion mm-hmm. that we learn. And this is from age, I don't know, about 10 or 11 until uh, about 16 years old, mm-hmm. where we do a semester on Islam and we do one on Christianity and we do one on um being Jewish or, or, or whatever else. And <clears throat> we learn, you know, we do all the projects and stuff. But in Canada, mm-hmm. they don't do that as far as I know. They they don't really have religious studies and they have history and geography, but only of Canada. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there needs to be um, in the curriculum world history and world religion and, and world politics agree. and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm, why do you think, sorry, go ahead. Your question. Go ahead. I was just going to ask why, why do you think that is that there isn't already in Canada oh. and America as well? Obviously. Well, again, I, it, it's, it's the term that has been surfacing a lot over the past years is systematic, systemic racism. Right. Um, systematic, I'm sorry, racism. It's um, something that is at a higher level than we can actually even think of. I mean, going back, let me even share something with you. Uh, When I was in high school, um, it was probably in the early, I'm aging myself here, but it's fine. Early 1990s, there was uh, a movement of um, being more culturally aware. Um, It was a lot more digging into the era of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and digging into, you know, just black awareness. And um, we actually petitioned the students, we petitioned to bring black history into the school because um, just as you're saying, uh, we had history, but it was Canadian history or it was American history or it was, you know, anything but um, you would able you were able to get a credit. You were able to get a credit for. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you guys do in, in England, but credit means, of course, the credit used towards graduation, right? You have to graduate with a certain amount of credit. So anyway, um, finally, the school system, quote unquote, 
quote unquote, heard what we were asking for. And they awarded us with half a credit for, (laughs) for the class. So they said, okay, we'll give you something. But then what happened was, of course, it's a, it's a race to graduate. If you take a class that's worth only half a credit, you're not going to graduate on time. Or that means additional classwork for you, an additional class. So it eventually got phased out. So unfortunately, sometimes systems will say, okay, we'll give you something, not quite what we're, what we're asking for, right? In terms of yeah. trying to level the, the playing field here. And then what happens is there, it, it, it produces maybe a lack of interest. It produces, you know, a lack of support. Um, so many other things, so many issues. So next thing you know, it's phased out. Right. So Mm -hmm. the reason I think, I mean, when, when you ask, why is it, it's all part of the systematic racism issues that we still deal with. Right. If you don't talk about the the history of the people, then we never have to recognize what history is done. We don't have to make amends. We don't have to change the way our, our current system is set up where one side benefits and another side doesn't. So you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It also, I think, opens the door to, unfortunately, a lot of lies that have been, been um, I guess, matriculated down in our history. I mean, you remember if, if you're looking at uh, the news and everything last year, when we started seeing all these statues coming down across Europe and of course, across the U.S., mm-hmm. There would always be an uproar with the um, citizens of that country or that region or whatever, because it's like, what? This is the statue that we've known. Do you know what this person represents to us in history? But when you dig deeper and learn why that person is famous, it's because of brutality (laughs) against the people, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah. And, and unfortunately, I remember even listening to a couple of interviews, um, you know, when these statues were being taken down and, you know, reporters were speaking to the, the civilians or citizens around, they'd be like, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear that, you know, um, they committed these, these crimes, as you say, but it's still my history, you know? Yeah, but it's not. It shouldn't be celebrated yes, with a statue. Exactly. Like I think, like get rid of the old ones, definitely. But then they need to be replaced with someone who did genuine good yes. and not just um, brought an awful lot of business to that city yes. at the time using methods that were perhaps a bit shady. But you know, overall, you know, they built a building, so good for right, them. Right. 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 Let's let's if we're going to be doing a generational shift where the kids will grow up with this new statue and learning in their school about why they celebrate whoever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then that will become the conversation. And they might bring up as a footnote, they used to be a statue of this guy, but he was a, an a-hole. So <laughs> we don't bother. Anymore. Exactly. Like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the person is still a part of history, but it, it, it's what you're trying to perpetuate over and over yeah. in, in, the decades and the centuries that that type of behavior to oppress, to kill, mm-hmm. to brutalize mm-hmm. 
hey, that's how we do it. That's that's the American or North American or whatever way it is. And um, it, it's all symbolism. And it, it's just something that I don't think we should be commemorating. But as you're yeah. saying, um, there are so many people of all nationalities who actually did stand for good. And you're right. Mm-hmm. I think there's these are the people that we need to um, start giving a voice to because a lot of them were not glorified in history. The ones who were glorified in history, a lot of the times I'm, I'm talking about the, the, those who may have been oppressors are the ones who oppressed, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I mean, they got, they got to um, amass an awful lot of power and wealth yes. by doing things that were bad for a lot of people. Right. right. But you're then the people who are oppressed are usually not the ones who get to share their history. That's it. It's the ones who can afford to write books and get books written about them and get statues in their name and stuff because it's it's the people who are celebrating them because they just yeah got yeah a lot of money exactly like I mean even what you just mentioned about about the books like I mean um, there was a study uh, in out of the UK um, it's called. It's from the Center for Literacy and Primary Literature. I, I don't know if you heard of it. C L P L C C something like that. So um, they have um, some stats. There's some st- statistics that actually just came out um, last October, November, and it was just talking about the conditions of publications, like uh, children's literature publications. So just the discrepancy. It, it was talking about perhaps in 2017, out of all publications in the UK, only 1% represented represented uh, children of color, people of color. 1% of all the publications. Hmm. And then um, yeah. by 2018, it was 4%. So there was a little bit of growth because, you know, the yeah. message was, was getting out there. But um, believe it or not, half of the books of all publications were... Um, white children. And then secondary to that, it was about the 30% mark. It, it was about uh, children, animals rather, animals. So <laughs> the representation of, you know, um, Black or Indigenous or uh, South Pacific, anyone else was just so minuscule, right? So again, in literature, in in media or whatever, the same message keeps you know, repeating itself. So it's just so important to see what is happening, even in the history books, the children's books, who's writing these children's books as well. Um, For here in Canada, I I was stunned. I came across some more information too, because this is kind of me digging when I started writing. Um, (laughs) I started seeing that there's probably, I I think, do you remember is about 27% of the books um, here in Canada were representing people of color, but half of those books or even more were written by white people. So it's kind of stories. Like I appreciate it because you have, you have, you have to look at it as a business as well. You're going to fill, you're going to try to fill in the gap. You see a gap, you don't see the representation, so you decide you're going to write. But I think it's so important to have an authentic message by someone who actually is a part of that culture or who actually have those experiences. So I, I just, um, 
it's just one of those things. Again, I, I do recognize where um, we are trying to grow. And I'm just literally saying there's still so much more <laughs> room to grow. And we're getting there, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, um, this was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned so much. Um, thank you for sharing all of this. Um, now I want you to plug your book. Sure. Tell everyone what it is, where you can get it. Any web links? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, thank you for the conversation. It's, it's been great. So um, The Amazing Zoe, it is a series. Um, you can purchase the books through any bookstore, really. Uh, they're available on Amazon. They're available at Chapters Indigo. If you go to a bookstore and the book is not there, it could definitely be ordered through um, all bookstores because they all have the same database. Um, you can also visit my website, valinecampbell.com, and I'm also on social media. Uh, so you can find me. All my links are on my page as well. And I'm also always available for author visits in schools. Um, the books are geared for ages three to nine years old. So if you're a teacher, a parent, you can make the request and have uh, me visit. I would love to share these stories with your little ones. Yeah, or even a Zoom visit now at the moment. I'm sorry? You could do like a virtual yes, and visit. Yes, a virtual visit. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the way right now, <laughs> Yeah, which is fine. So Thank you. Yes. Thank you so Thanks. much. This Thank was you. incredible. Thank you. I, I so enjoyed speaking with you today. So, you too. yes. Great. Thank you very you much. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, you too. Bye-bye.